Well, hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. We're so good at that now. I know, we're getting <laughs> pros, <laughs> professionals. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell myself anyway. <laughs> at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's like, the, it's constantly though. It's like, I'm good at this. I can do this. And then, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Imposter syndrome. Exactly. It's a mean one. It is. Mm. It's a bad one. Yep. Do we just want to like jump right in today? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a week. Hello. Yeah. It's been it's been a week. Yeah. Oh, has it been a week? And that's okay. As I sit here, like crouched in on myself with my hands over my face, <laughs> <laughs> and as I'm like choking. On your mimosa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Amber. And I'm here with my friend Tracy. And this is The Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast recapping the books, uncovering fan theories, discussing the upcoming TV show on Amazon Prime, and unpacking this incredible series. And today we are back to recapping New Spring and we're on chapters 21 and 22 currently mm-hmm. that is correct and chapter 20 chapter 21 is some tricks of the power there are some <laughs> tricks moraine's being Indeed. very mischievous mm-hmm. okay so the chapter starts out with land's point of view so he's observing mistress alice as moraine has been requested to be called by the men that she's traveling with they're still on the road to is it chachin or chachin do we know i have no idea i've been like i hear it in my head as like chachin <laughs> chachin <laughs> but i like every it every time i don't know how to pronounce a word my default is going into like the german pronunciation of trying to like figure out how words sound <laughs> so mm. i don't I like know that. <laughs> chachin Mm-mm. chachin i don't know it's a a city on the hill so they're on the road and this journey has been far from pleasant for poor lan and it's just barely been better for his companions and as the ch- as the chapter opens up one of the things that is remarked on by lan is how you won't find any farms just kind of hanging out on their own in the borderlands. Mm-hmm. Like, so, and his thought is in the borderlands, there were no such things as isolated farms. Sooner or later, a farm set off by itself became a graveyard. Yeah. And like, it all comes back to like how dangerous and how deadly it is to live in the borderlands. And I know we come back to it 
frequently, but I just find it. He, he like Robert Jordan drives at home almost every single chapter here, and it's just yeah, like okay, we get it, we get it. <laughs> but and at the same time, I'm like, yeah, it keeps yeah. telling me more. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Some of my favorite chapters in the main series take place when it's just like a random setting and they're giving us a little scene somewhere in the borderlands and where there's like a trollic attack or something and i'm just like ooh, (laughs) this is exciting (laughs) i mean i wouldn't want to live there these poor people but yeah it's definitely there's definitely a lot of action Mm -hmm. i agree so maureen slash alice is still trying to figure out who, if any of her companions are dark friends, and she's pestering them with questions every chance she gets. And none of the men respond very well to this interrogation from this tiny woman. And Lance thought, again, a man's past belonged to himself and the people who had lived it with him. It was not a matter for gossip with an inquisitive woman. <laughs> like, which is land speak for shut the fuck up. <laughs> Stop bugging me. What do you want? My whole life story? (laughs) You're not getting it. I'm stoic. Mm -hmm. I am the definition of stoic. Not getting that. Um, So Moraine is is not getting what she's wanting from these conversations, but she's still determined to torment Lan every opportunity. Oh, wait. Nope. I'm jumping ahead of myself. So one of the the tricks... One of the tricks with the power that is performed early in the chapter happens when this traveling party encounters blights or storms from the blight. And Lan thinks these are the worst storms, the ones that come from the blight during spring. And it's downpours of freezing rain mixed with hail large enough to crack a man's head. So nothing that you want to be stuck outside in. And Lan starts looking around for a place for shelter. And Moraine is like, what are you doing? And he's like, well... (laughs) <laughs> the weather's going to get real bad, lady. And she's she very calmly is like, you have nothing to fear. You are under my protection. And she creates this dome that goes over the entire party and moves with them and their horses, making it so that when the hailstones hit, they just bounce off. And uh, Leanne comments how it's in an eerie silence as though they had struck nothing at all. And she ends up doing this twice for them. And Lan thinks maybe she's the Aes Sedai she claims to be, but even if she's not, she's a very strange woman. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was like, good, good observation. I love how I, agree I with love you. how they're just like the strange little woman. <laughs> Who's like just trampling all over their customs and not even seeming to realize it and who gives them cold stares and you know like she's definitely a thorn in their side depending on even regardless of the fact that they have agreed to look out for her she's Mm -hmm. not making the journey very enjoyable so they encounter bandit they encounter bandits on the road but are able to scare them off the few times that it happened but then on The fourth day of their travel, roughly 20 scraggly dressed men in rusty armor line up in front of the travelers while another 23 line up behind them. So they are boxed in. And Lan observes that none of them have bows, but 
considering how outnumbered they are, it's not going to make much of a mm-hmm. difference. And so he's thinking to himself in regards to Mistress Alice, if she had some trick of the power up her sleeve, he wished she would. And of course, <laughs> Moraine has a trick up her sleeve. Yes, she does. And so, yes, she does. And she's like, you dare impede the way of an Aes die. She thundered, and it was thunder, setting some of the brigands' horses snorting and plunging. Surrender or face my wrath. And fire exploded with a roar above the bandits' heads. Yes! She's such a showman. (laughs) She is. (laughs) Yeah. She knows how to, like, put on a show. So there's a a bit of discussion among the bandits about Moraine being an Aes Sedai. And they look to try to be figuring out what to do when Lan enters his own threat. And they all go scattering. Lan's feeling pretty good about this outcome. He's like, yeah, nobody died. (laughs) Yeah. Bandits have run away. Go on, run off. Yeah. (laughs) We could have taken you. Um, But Moraine is actually furious because she she was like, if they would have attacked us, I could have used the one power and like scooped them all up and then they could have faced justice. And I love this because I feel as though this is what defines Moraine as a blue is her adherence and desire for justice to take place Mm -hmm. and when she's basically pushing back against Lan she says how many people have they robbed and murdered how many women ravished how many children orphaned we should have fought them and taken the survivors to the nearest magistrate yes so I'm I'm with her and just think yeah she's been on the road coming to all these women for you know offering them, you know, the bounties for having children and whatnot. And she's heard all of these sob stories along the way, like people's husbands dying and children dying. And she's probably just like, you know what, I'm not cool with this. After seeing it so often, you know, on her travels Mm -hmm. right now. So she's, yeah, she's feeling feisty and ready to take these. Her blue is, yeah. Her blue is showing. Mm -hmm. So Lan realizes that Maureen believes she could have defeated close to 50 men by herself. And again, a very strange woman. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. He's not wrong. So overall, Lan thinks the journey would have been more or less tolerable if it weren't for Alice's treatment of him. He thinks that she is blind to a great deal and that makes all the difference. In his mind... Choosing to sit in the wet that first night when Moraine, like, decided to dump half the pond on him <laughs> was, right, was his way of showing he would accept what she had done. And, of course, that's, I mean, we know that's not how Moraine sees it at all, but that's how he sees it. So it was like an honor thing for him. He was respecting, mm-hmm. like, his taking his punishment, I guess. Yeah, yeah, because in the Borderlands, women in, I even wrote this down, a woman set the price for her, for her, (laughs) a woman set the price for her insult or injury. And so he's constantly just kind of putting up with the torment that he's receiving from Moraine without losing his temper, without complaining about it. And he thinks that she must be this really hard woman because he she isn't seeing that these are his attempts of making peace between the two of them Mm -hmm. so Lan's point of view in the chapter 
wraps up with him thinking that perhaps Eden had sent this tiny woman to kill him. But <laughs> if it if that were the case, it was to kill him slowly. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it, it kind of shows... I mean, he's not thinking straight because obviously, you know, like there were brigands, there were people like set to like attack him and kill him. I think he's I think he's kind of reaching here, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe it's just an indication of how frustrated. (laughs) Yeah. How much she's getting under his skin is that he's like, dang, maybe. Yeah, maybe she is trying to kill me, but you know, just taking a long time to do it. <laughs> I mean, he's 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 getting tortured. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. and I have like I have the the spot in the book where Maureen lists out the things that she's done to him every night and I'm going to read it just so that people know like what Lan's been putting up with. Mm-hmm. So, the chapter flips from Lan to an outraged, irritated frustrated Moraine. She can't understand why, with all the things she has done to Lan, that he hasn't shown the slightest remorse or offered anything close to an apology. In her thoughts, he was frozen arrogance to the core. So she's looking for a specific reaction from Lan that she's not getting. Lan feels as though he's giving the proper reactions and yeah. So totally crossed wires, cross cultures here. During the day, she leaves him alone to reflect, quote unquote. (laughs) More punishment. (laughs) Reflect. While she planned how best to harass him when they made camp that night. She is disappointed that the biting ants did not work the way she had hoped. Apparently, this is one of uh, the Blue Aja secrets. So let's see here. Okay, so just to like get an idea of how petulant and childish uh, Moraine is behaving. This is from this is from the book. That first night, he had sat, sat in the wet to let her know he would accept what she had done. The second night, she remained awake till dawn and made sure he did as well, with sharp flicks of an invisible switch whenever he nodded off. The third night, sand somehow got inside his clothes and boots, a thick coating of it. He had shaken out what he could and without water to wash, rode covered in grit the next day. That sounds awful. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> the night after the bandits, he could not understand how she managed to make ants crawl into his small clothes or make them all bite at once. It had been her doing for sure. She was standing over him when his eyes shot open and she appeared surprised that he did not cry out. So that was actually in the land point of view, and I forgot to grab it from earlier, but regardless, it's still the same thing. So she's not being very nice. No, not at all. No. Um, And her prying, like all of the questions that she was asking, for her, she was throwing in personal anecdotes about her time in Kyrene and at the tower, and she's trying to do this as a way to get them to open up and talk to her, and instead, they just seem embarrassed <laughs> at what she's sharing about like, them. Why and are they you, just... yeah, like, you're an oversharer, like, yeah, too much, yeah. too much. Keep keep that to yourself. TMI. Unless we're talking about the weather or our horses or playing seven. Let's just <laughs> let's just not talk. And so she doesn't have any kind of confirmation that any of these men are dark friends. It's just a suspicion that one of them is. And really at this point, she doesn't feel that she has any reason to trust anyone other than Swan. So 
Moraine's kind of on high alert at this point, too, where she just doesn't feel comfortable trusting anyone. She does find the woman that she's been looking for in a village called Ravinda. It's maybe about a two-day ride, I think they say, from Chechen. And Mr. Sahara had already received the bounty and was building an inn, which she decided to name the White Tower. This is hilarious. This is so humorous. (laughs) Yeah, like, I liked how... um, Maureen observed, apparently the bounty had put a touch of feast day into every day for her. And I thought that was just kind of sweet. Like, this woman is, she's living it up. She yeah. got 100 gold crowns. She's going to make it an inn, like it says in the book, that they were building the second story of it. And she already had the sign made. And, like, <laughs> Moraine's like, good Lord, if the tower actually looked like that, it would be a 1,000 feet tall. Yeah. And so... But then, like, Moraine, who's not exposing that she's an Aes Sedai to everybody, is like, you know, maybe that name. And the other woman is like, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it's fine. She's like, I, I think, think it's great. It's cool. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sticking with it. So Moraine's like, maybe, maybe a more recognizable sister will come along at some point in the future and kind of let her know there's only one 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 white tower just one but i just i thought that was really sweet but apparently this woman is like had her child way too far away from dragon mount and um what was it her 10th child and had been born like a week before guitar's um foretelling yeah so this woman is not who she's looking for and on to chechen they go moraine is kind of cross she's pissed off that whoever took these notes did like such a terrible job and she's feeling cranky and she's planning out like whatever kind of awfulness she's going to perform that night for land (laughs) this part oh lord (laughs) Right. So in the process of her just asking, "Do are you allergic to wasps? He kind of like turns around a little bit in his saddle and pulls his horse up and then his eyes go wide and she sees an arrow sticking out of his right shoulder as I point to my left shoulder. Right shoulder. <laughs> I know these things. So she so she asks him, like she's planning it out in her head, and she's like, are you allergic to wasps by any chance? So he rears up, turns around, and then just narrowly gets missed, like mm-hmm. an arrow like going through his heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Maureen immediately like reaches for the source and embraces Sadar, and she thinks about it. Very similar to the way that it had been when she went through the test for the shawl, just how thoughtless it was and how second nature. But she weaves a like a shield of air around land first and then herself. And apparently, Ryan and Bukama don't get a shield at all. Like I didn't, I didn't read that. Um, but she she kind of thinks about it for just a second that she's not quite sure why she put a shield in front of land before herself. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 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 What are you doing? So she looks up along the the ridgeline that's by them and she sees a man and traps him with air. And as she does this, Bukama and Ryan both let loose their arrows and 
hit their target, of course, because they're badasses. Standing still. <laughs> and, and they're badasses. That's the other thing. Moraine feels really uncomfortable about this because it comes way too close to using um, the weapon as a, as, or <laughs> using the weapon, using the power as a weapon for men to use. And it just, just a momentary okay, bit of so uncomfortable. Okay, so she's thinking like maybe if I wouldn't have wrapped this guy up in air, he wouldn't have been a sitting target. And now yeah. she feels guilty. Yes, exactly. Okay. So the men head up the hill and Lan and Bukama both recognize this person. And they're like, why did you do this? And he's like, for gold, of course. But once Moraine hears about it, let's see here. Lan and Moraine. Oh, so Lan and Moraine could both think that this was an attack on either one mm-hmm. of them. Like, unbeknownst to the other person, they are both... Like on high alert, monarchs. yeah. Yeah, they're monarchs in the making if the right things happen. So, of course, Moraine's thinking Black Aja and Kyrian and uh, Lan's thinking Eden. Uh, Moraine ends up galloping up the hill and launches herself out of the saddle and is, like, ready to heal, but the guy has already died. She just wanted she, she wanted information out of him. Yeah, yeah. Like, she wasn't really interested in saving his life for the purpose of saving his life, and that might be the right thing to do. It was more she wanted information. And since she couldn't actually ask him, she goes ahead and starts digging through his pockets. pockets. (laughs) Yeah, and Lan's like, are you stealing from the corpse? And she's like, no. No, you idiot. Um, (laughs) You dum-dum? Why? And so she's... She's going through his purse, the the dead man's purse, and she sees that there are 10 gold coins in it. And her thought is, so the price of her death in Candor was the same as the price of a silk dress in Tarvalon. And I was just like, I'm glad we got that dress scene. (laughs) Right? (laughs) We needed it for this scene. Right? So while Moraine is doing this inspection of the corpse, Lan is getting the arrow pulled out from in his shoulder and Bukama breaks off the end that has the arrowhead, and Bukama goes to pull out from the backside so that it just comes all the way through. And Moraine is looking at Lan as this happens, and all he does is blink. Yeah. Like, he gets an arrow pulled through his body, and he's just like, mm. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah blood just, streaming down just a normal day in the borderlands yeah this is day-to-day life for me no worries so ryan is coming back and he is chewing bread for a poultice for the wound and has bandages and stuff and moraine realizes not a single one of them is thinking to ask her for healing and she is irritated by that as well so she decides that she will ask Lan if he wants healing and she starts to reach her hands up towards his head and he like pulls away from her because he's like I don't I don't trust you yeah this whole Aes Sedai business like uh, and like Bukama makes a a, he, he mutters under his breath and says you know it would probably be best for him to be whole and healthy when they arrive in Chechen and for that he accepts Moraine's offer uh, they leave the dead man and his money where he is. They return to their horses. Lan sends the pack animal or, or the horse that had been the assassin's horse mm-hmm. 
He, like, sends it off on his way. And Moraine notices that, to her, this seems like a surprising touch of kindness because Lan says he does it because this way the horse can be loose and find food. It won't starve to death before somebody comes and finds it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then she's like, tonight she'll be nice and she won't attack him in any way because he's he been had through like enough a today <laughs> yeah like she'll wait she'll wait but they only have two more nights until they reach chachin and after that she would be too too busy to worry about teaching lan his lesson and that's where 21 ends so that one's really good i like i mean it was really fast paced and mm-hmm. i love the action but there was there was a lot in it. Yeah. Like, it was fast-paced, but there was still a lot to it, and I liked that. And we're finally getting, like, to see a little bit of redemption where they've been acting so childish this whole time, and now I feel like they're kind of starting to just realize that there might be a little bit more to each other. But mm-hmm. the problem is they just, they just are, like you said, their wires are crossed. They're just... Mm-hmm. If they could just have a conversation and work things out, but no, <laughs> they cannot. No. no. Yeah. And because Lan's not willing to talk about himself or his, like, heritage in any way, their wires just continue to be crossed. Like if they just knew Moraine's who each trying other to, were. Like, like, yeah. Come on. It would make such a big difference. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So chapter 22 is called Keeping Custom. And at the very beginning, we're getting this first look into Chachin and keeping with the Borderlands theme, it's heavily <laughs> fortified. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just saying like, oh, it's like it, it, it's a good fortress. No, this is insane. So it's in the mountains and the there are three walls, covered walls that surround the town, the city. And each, inside each wall, it's elevated. So in the center wall, the palace is kind of like sitting on top. I'm looking at the picture that you put up behind yeah. you of the city <laughs> as, you're t- as you're talking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, look at that. Yeah, it's massive. Like, so it has a dry moat with around two dozen bridges. And each one of these bridges has their own fortress at the mouth. So we're talking like... What is this? 24 fortresses within this city that's completely walled like three ways around. That's crazy. It's insane. And there's lots of traffic and many guards. And even with all the guards checking people as they come and go, it's taking a considerable amount of time passing through. And Mm -hmm. they enter through a bridge called the Bridge of Sunrise, which it's kind of nice, you know. <laughs> I'm glad it doesn't have to be, you know, something so dark and depressive. Because I feel right. like it would be like the bridge of the black iron or something, you know. The bridge of impending doom. Yeah. <laughs> so Lan is becoming pretty impatient. He just wants to get to a resting place. And even though he's dreading this encounter with Lady Eden, he's only inside the first wall. And he Mm -hmm. wants all this time with Lady Alice to be over. She's been harassing him with all of these bugs the past few weeks and her little tricks that she's been doing. And he's covered in, like, these welts 
of itching like mm-hmm. <laughs> was it blisterly yeah is that what it, what she said it was uh no this was from i think it was like black flies or something oh gosh regardless lorraine yeah so he's just he's feeling it he's ready for it to be done and over mm-hmm. with so Lan tells Alice that the pledge was to protect her to Chachin and they have other business to do, so it's time to part ways. And, of course, she insults him by once again trying to pay him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lan's like, no, keep your coin. And Ryan apologizes for Lan's behavior, and he thinks that Lan is being a little bit too offensive to an Aes Sedai and it could have repercussions Mm -hmm. so Lan once again is going back and forth trying to piece out whether she is an actual Aes Sedai or not and he comes to the conclusion that she just might be Mm -hmm. but they're parting ways now and it's for the best and with that Lan has this very (laughs) very showy like moment where he bursts off away on his horse and, like, gallops off through these walled, or these bridges through, like, the city. Mm -hmm. And it's mentioned that this is kind of an offense to the other people with, like, with this... I can't talk right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's offensive. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. I get it. It's offensive to the other people on the street because they have to dodge him as he's mm-hmm. rushing through and yeah. he's, you know, making his way up to the ice. Let me see. He's making his way up to the ice Dishar Palace. Dishar. So Ryan and Bukama say nothing. They know that Lan is in a pretty <laughs> foul mood and he's not. It's just Lan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's not Lan, it would be Bukama, right? One of them. Yeah. Yeah. But they know Lan is really dreading this meeting with Lady Eden. And Lan thinks he would rather enter the blight than go through with this meeting. Isn't that like the second time he said that too? Like like, he's really hammering it home. I'd rather die. (laughs) So as they're Trollocs. Yeah. (laughs) Trollocs would be easier than meeting than women. Yeah. Yeah. So the the higher they climb, they start to move slower, and we get a description of the area closest to the palace, which I think is really mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Um, as they go up in altitude, they see fewer homes, and mm-hmm. instead of homes, they're seeing more and more palaces and mansions of the rich merchants and bankers that would live on this higher um, level, I guess, mm-hmm. within yeah. the city. And they see all of these coaches, and the coaches have their own, like, small protection of outriders. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. again, we are seeing that even within the higher class, where you would think this one level is all rich merchants and people of that like, they're still so heavily protected. Mm-hmm. Lan looks out of place among all of these wealthy people because he's down to his third nicest coat. 
<laughs> and the thought of bloodstains on his coat make him think of Alice again and how he mm-hmm. owes her a debt. And it, he's having a difficult time not thinking about her. Seems mm-hmm. like every little thing that comes up, his mind goes back to her. Mm-hmm. And Lan and his party are eventually admitted to the palace. After giving his name, an officer that Lan knows greets him with a deep bow and the words of Taishar Malkier. And Lan follows the guard, his name is Girard, into the visitor's yard. And he is swiftly greeted by Mistress Romera, who is the Chatayan of the palace. Mm-hmm. And this makes him worry because the custom is that only crowned rulers are greeted by the Shatayan. And Mm -hmm. this word Shatayan is someone who is basically the headmistress of all the servants. And we get a description of her carrying like a big bundle of keys. And Lan thinks he was swimming in a sea of other people's expectations. Men had drowned in seas like that. So once again, yeah, so stoic and yep. <laughs> gloomy. And just kind of darkly accepting of what is happening around him. Mm-hmm. Like it's not what he would be choosing for himself. No. And I feel like there's probably a strong layer of resentment to what he's feeling forced to do. Well, yeah, she's called the banners, not him. Mm-hmm. So you would mm-hmm. think in his mind, he would he would do his duty. He would do his honor. But it's something that I think a man would have to choose for himself. And the fact mm-hmm. that she's doing it in his name, it's, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. going to come out and say it. Yeah. And I'm I like as we get to know more and more about the situation – and how much he's dreading meeting her. I'm feeling the same as a reader. I just, you get a really bad vibe from this lady. Mm-hmm. So Lan is given his quarters and soon learns that the queen of the palace isn't there, but the prince consort, Lord Bryce, is. And mm-hmm. so is Lady Eden Arell herself. So mm-hmm. Lan relieves the servants, and he is later requested to meet Lady Eden in her quarters, but he's like, hell nah. And <laughs> <laughs> he then receives a note from her that reads, come to me, sweetling. Come to me now. So first off, barf. Second, That's the voice I read it into. Yeah. <laughs> so, ugh. I feel yeah, like I don't cringy like her. for her. Like, ooh. Yeah. It's it's her level of power over him if they were to meet one-on-one that also adds, like, an extra layer of discomfort around that request and the way that it's phrased. And, like, he's like, I'm not, nope, not doing that. Mm-mm. He's not feeling yeah. it. So Mm -mm. this is how much he is not feeling it. He burns the letter. (laughs) So not happening. So next, the Shatayan, this mistress of the servants, I guess. She invites him to a meeting with Prince Bryce and Lan accepts, expecting Mm -hmm. it to be a private meeting. 
But instead, he is greeted in a large formal hall with all of these other Kandori lords and ladies. And Lan is shocked. He didn't expect to see so many people. There are servants serving wine and people dressed in silk and fine woolens. And there are even men there wearing the Hidori in the crowd. Mm-hmm. So something's about and to women happen. wearing the the kisane. Kis- yeah, is that what kisane, it is? Kisane, they, yeah. The, it's like a dot on the forehead. yeah. What the what the married women of Malkir wear. Mm-hmm. And as he's making his way up to Prince Bryce, as he passes through, everyone in the crowd bows to him. Mm-hmm. So before he gets into his formalities with Prince Bryce, he introduces him to his son, which I think is this kind of sweet little moment. So the son of Lord Bryce is coming to land with all of these questions, and he's like, I heard the Aiel are 10 feet tall, and they eat their own dead. <laughs> and Prince Bryce cuts his son off only for land to respond. Let the boy show his excitement. He thinks back to when he was a small boy and he was learning the Kodai and learning how to fight and kill. And mm-hmm. he hopes this boy will have a happy, chi- happier childhood than he did. So It's really sweet. Yeah, we get this really kind of nice, sweet moment only mm-hmm. for Lady Eden to arrive in her fine <laughs> silk Domani gown. And she tells Lan... It would have been easier if you had come to me. (laughs) 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 And then she abruptly kneels to Lan and pledges fealty to him, using his full title. So everyone in this, you know, grand hall, including Lan, is shocked. And Mm -hmm. after a moment of kind of confusion and silence, the crowd starts cheering, The Golden Crane! The Golden Crane and Candor rides with Melchior. So mm-hmm. we get this kind of festive celebration, which for Lan is not so festive. <laughs> yeah. Truth. So Lan reminds her that the Great Lords have not cast the rod to determine the King of Melchior, which would be another mm-hmm. one of Melchior customs, Melchiori customs. But Lady Eden shows him that. Three of the living lords are here in attendance and what must come or and what must be will be. So Prince Bryce comes to land apologetically, telling him that if he would have known this would happen, he would he wouldn't have let it happen, and he will withdraw Lady Eden's welcome if Lan wants. And yeah. so Lan has basically become boxed in in this situation and he can't refuse her to stay in the palace because it's an extremely like massive slight so Mm -hmm. he kind of just puts it out of his head and they start to make some small talk which I think this is probably Lan's way of just you know, trying to maneuver out of this awkward conversation. Mm-hmm. And apparently there have been some flare-ups in the blight, and there are rumors of a man who can channel, and mm-hmm. a woman pretending to be an Aes Sedai who was caught and punished. 
And before mm-hmm. we know it, Lan is thinking of Lady Alice once again. Mm-hmm. And he does think, you know, I hope she was being truthful. So it does seem like he has some affection towards her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But <laughs> this is a very <laughs> strained relationship. <laughs> so Very. Lan eventually heads back to his room and wouldn't you know it, who does he find? Who's he find waiting for him in there? Lady Eden. Mm-hmm. So this is, yeah, this gets a little yucky. So <laughs> she tells him to bring the daor- daori that she mm-hmm. was keeping to her, and the daori da- da- daori is yeah. the hair that she cut from Lan when they were first lovers when she became his mm-hmm. first lover and Eden has all of the power right now mm-hmm. in this situation so he brings it to her and she takes him to a balcony overlooking a garden and within the garden there is a young woman strolling on the path and she says my daughter Isel." for a moment pride and affection warmed in Eden's voice do you remember her She's 17 now. She hasn't chosen her car- carniera yet. Young men were chosen by their carniera. Young women chose theirs. But I think it's time she is married anyways. So Lady Eden springs her next plan on Lan. And she says that Lan should also be married. And Lan puts it all together and tells her that what she is thinking of doing is disgraceful. Mm-hmm. And... Eden would never give up all of her advantage, not until she presented his diori to his bride on his wedding day. And he could see that there was no way to stop the bride being Isel, the daughter of Eden. So once again, this Malkyrie custom is pretty messed up. Mm-hmm. If I'm correct, since Lan is basically an orphan... His first lover becomes the woman who chooses his wife. Mm-hmm. So, excuse me, what? <laughs> These borderlanders, as much as... Some of their customs. Yeah, it's just... It's so weird. It's very bizarre. And, and then after she's like, hey, that girl down there, that's my daughter, that's 17, that you're going to marry, that's her... And now let's go get it on, you and me. And so, like, what? Yeah. Okay. It's But weird. It's pretty. That's just weird. It's pretty gross. It's just weird. It, it mm-hmm. just feels kind of skeezy, but. It does. It really does. Yeah. Anything else on 22? No, we can. I think we can go, like, right into our discussion if you want to take our break now break sounds good okay, cool. <laughs> let's take a break okay. uh do you want me to call you mm-hmm. okay cool okay i'm here i'm back i'm back um discussion topic time yeah so if we pass over the secret weaves then the next thing is oh where we were talking about the pattern yeah did you want to take this or? Well, um, you kind of brought it up when we were phone chatting earlier this week at some point 
And I was like, yes, I've been wondering the same thing. Yeah. But I think you explained it really well, so. Okay, so. Go for it. Within the past few chapters, when starting out in Canloom up until now, Lan has kind of dodged multiple assassination attempts and multiple times he's been told you must like really have the Dark One's own luck. Mm-hmm. And as I was thinking about it, I was kind of just wondering. It, at first it seemed like, oh, well, Lan is just this extremely skilled fighter. But when we mm-hmm. think about that chapter into Canloom, I think it was into Canloom or the chapter after that, He's saying, you know, only in stories does a man survive Mm -hmm. an attempt with six men against one. Mm -hmm. And again, we see in chapter 21 where Moraine asks him a question. He turns and the arrow just narrowly misses his heart. And after these, you know, you have the Dark One's own luck being mentioned. I was thinking, you know, maybe... Maybe this is Robert Jordan subtly trying to show how the Tavira nature works because mm-hmm. we know that the Dragon Reborn has been born mm-hmm. and we know it's Rand and I almost feel like even from so far away, like maybe this is just the pattern's way of making sure that somehow Moraine and Lan have this situation that bonds them where she heals him and they're spending time together. So they're creating this relationship and that's going to lead them on their path to being connected with Rand. So all of this stuff Mm -hmm. that's happening and falling into place, I feel like this is just the wheel creating another... Yep. Attempt to kind of push things in one direction. And it's Mm -hmm. a really great plot device. I love how we can always think, oh, it's just a coincidence. But within the series, you have to always question like, oh, maybe it's just the pattern. I feel that. Like, I I was kind of wondering the same thing and for the same reasons. And I also wonder, like, how Perrin and Matt play into this. Because they also are strongly Taviran, and they would have been born within months of... I think weeks, right? Is that it? It was like like two weeks or something. Their birthdays are all really close together, so I can definitely see the possibility of those three and their pull on the pattern, And which, I mean, does that mean that the pattern is always fighting for the good of things? I would feel like the pattern is fighting to keep the pattern alive because if there's if the mm. dark one wins, then there's destruction and chaos. And... Yeah, and with all of we talked about previously with Rob on our shadow spawn, we were talking a little bit about free will, mm-hmm. and I think it's almost to the point where if the dark one would win, I don't think all free will would be taken away. But I think mm-hmm. that the side of the Dark One would have so much control and they would be able to turn people against mm-hmm. their own will, kind of like the soul-sucking method where they can change people with the 13 Merdral and the 13 Channelers. Mm-hmm. 
and it's almost like once you would have an army of channelers working for you and able to take someone's free will away, would free will really exist anymore? Because you would just, Mm -hmm. everyone would be a slave to the dark one, regardless if they had free will or not, but would they really have any type of choice? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of maybe the wheel is just doing this out of, you know. Self-preservation. Yeah, self-preservation. Hmm. Like, is it, does it know if it's good or evil or is it just trying to keep its own mechanisms alive, I guess? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. I was just kind of wondering, like, does this mean that the pattern's rooting for Rand to succeed if it's already pulling bits and pieces around him into being beneficial for him? It's really interesting. Yeah. (laughs) It's a really cool question. Interesting. Okay. I'm sure there are people that have ideas on that, too. Yeah. If if any of our listeners have thoughts on this, please leave us a message. We love stuff like this. Yeah. Like, give us a little extra insight into how you read it. Yeah. I always like that, too. And then you had found this, which I love. (laughs) So... When Ryan is walking up to Lan and he's chewing a bread poultice. Yeah, after Lan gets shot in the shoulder with an arrow. Mm Mm-hmm. They want to put some bread on it. (laughs) Some chewed up, chewed up bread. In a wound. And so I was, I was like, this has to have some sort of an historical background to it. And it does. And it goes back even further than I had thought it did to like ancient Egyptian times where things that had molds or yeasts in them were used to help fight infections around wounds. But (laughs) one of my favorite things that I found when I was looking into this was uh, some of the more exotic looking recipes. They put exotic in quotation marks, recipes listed in European medieval books. So um, some recipes seem bizarre at first, but upon closer inspection proved to be not so odd after all. The God-fearing chemist smeared a paste of cheese mold, soft sheep dung, and honey onto boils on the lower legs. We will never conduct a clinical study of this. <laughs> but it's plausible that an antibiotic could arise from its mixture. And I can see Very that. interesting. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, with the exception of the sheep dung, like... <laughs> it sounds plausible. <laughs> yeah. Like, the cheese mold and honey in particular, like, both have, mm-hmm. a, like, antibacterial... Properties, yeah. Properties. So it makes sense. And, like, even without being able to scientifically test it the way we would think about scientifically testing things, they were all like, well, let's whip this shit up together and see what happens from here. And so the other thing that I was thinking of is like, yeah, they did this, but then they also made poultices with mercury. So obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And too, like, I think, I I don't remember where it is exactly in the series, but I feel like at some point they bring up using like a paste of like herbs and something like on Mm -hmm. wounds. So I mean, Mm -hmm. he does have some callbacks to this type of thing throughout the series Mm -hmm. which I really again appreciate because how researched and intelligent 
was Robert Jordan to be able to pull all of these things into the books and the series that he created, but also the fact that like some of these things don't have any historical standing that I can find, which actually kind of works into the next section, which is this cultural misunderstanding between Moraine and Lan. Like, he feels like he's giving her everything that she is looking for. She feels as though he's a giant dick. So (laughs) they are obviously, like, not on the same page. And it kind of made me wonder if this has anything to do with Lan and Moraine's knowledge of cultures is they're going through various places with the Emmons fielders in particular and like maybe that's why they're so not necessarily sensitive but at least I feel as though there are several points where they're like this is what you do in this situation and this is what you do in this situation and I have to wonder if it comes down to this moment where they're like oh duh <laughs> if we if we just would have been paying attention to like each other's cultures mm-hmm we wouldn't have had these huge misunderstandings, so... Yeah, you would think, I mean, you would think that them both being nobility, that they would Mm -hmm. be schooled in a way where they would understand all of this. And I have to keep telling myself, they're still children. Mm -hmm. So by the time we meet up with them in Eye of the World... They've been doing this for 20 years or so. Yeah. So they're, I mean, they're learning a lot, which really helps them by the time to they get to Emmonsfield navigating these, you know, intricate cultural mm-hmm. <laughs> ways of different people. And yeah, it, I mean, it's almost, it almost makes me wish that we had a whole series of just Moraine and Lan and their adventures together. (laughs) Well, I mean, the thought that just came to mind for me is Moraine in Ruidian or on the the hills above Ruidian and how she is aware of their customs and what she should say, what she shouldn't say. And so it seems as though it's something, because I feel like this is at least Moraine's first true encounter with the Aiel. So she's done research not just on cultures that she's encountered, but on cultures that she may someday encounter. So I feel as though this was kind of a lesson learned moment for both of them. Mm -hmm. At least I can hope so. But it seems so easy to make a cultural faux pas in the series as well, because there are so many particular cultural practices and behaviors like Maureen had no idea she was offending Lan and Mm -hmm. Ryan and Bukama by offering them money and like in Ibu Dar like with the marriage knives and stuff and Mm -hmm. like the way that people are just ready to duel to the death at any given moment like if you're a stranger you have no idea that that is the cultural norm there you're gonna be like what the fuck is happening so I I really appreciate how varied. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I appreciate it too. And it's funny too to think like you mentioned in Ibudar. Just think how dangerous it is not knowing the customs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is like a matter of life or death for them. And if they don't start understanding quickly, mm-hmm. 
they're, you know, they're going to have a hard go at it. Yeah. And I mean, Elaine and Nynaeve get thrown instantly into the same room with the queen. And then Matt is thankfully, like, kind of hanging out with some nobles who are a little bit aware. But at the same time, Matt doesn't give a fuck. And he also has... He always seems to land on his feet anyway. Exactly. (laughs) Like, his level of luck is just, like, he doesn't have to care about customs. He's Matt, and he's got his fox head medallion and his spear thing. Ashan. 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 Ashandar. Something like that. Ashandar. Yeah. It's a thing with the pointy (laughs) top. We should do a a weapons one so that... I really want to do a weapons episode. I do too. I think that would be really fun to do that. So yeah, I I have to wonder if like what would have been different between Moraine and Leanne meeting each other had they understood each other's customs and where they're coming from. But I also like haven't really seen some of these cultural habits in anything historic. And so that again, like Robert Jordan was like, I'm just going to make this up. This is just going to be a thing. I mean... uh... The only thing I could think of would be in, like, very, very early history of our world, you know, it would be, like, Vikings sailing across the sea, ending up in North America and meeting natives, and them kind of being like, wait, what? <laughs> or, you know what I mean? <laughs> Someone from two totally different sides, like, having mm-hmm. to meet up and being completely confused, but at the same time, you would have to think of how climates and whatnot would also play into that if you would have a culture of someone who doesn't see any rain and has to really be fearful of how much water they can have to survive if they Mm -hmm. met someone from an area full of water how Mm -hmm. like avienda feeling remorseful and ashamed every time she takes a bath and thinks like I'm wasting all of this water like Mm -hmm. it's just these little things that are so nice and so well thought out just Mm -hmm. makes me appreciate it Mm -hmm. even even though it can get a little bit heavy-handed sometimes we're like okay we get it they're different yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's one of the things that I thought was kind of worth talking about for a moment as far as like Lan and Moraine's meeting and how varied the cultures are across the the series which is another thing that like I know we've talked about wanting to do is nations and cities and cultures and things along those lines for future episodes I yeah. think that'd be really fun and then let's see here if we go ahead and get into chapter 22 <laughs> sorry I just read over did you write this the, oh it's I almost did like... <laughs> yeah no, as we were talking about culture, cu- cultural faux pas and whatnot, it's almost like Moraine is trying to force them to take notice. Like, I am strong. I am capable. Look what I can do. I can fend for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of coming off as like this adolescent nonsense. Like, she's mm-hmm. not earning herself any respect here. Mm-mm. But she's trying, I think she's almost trying to show like, See, like, I am capable, and it's, yeah, it's not working. <laughs> no, but that is really funny, because especially the adolescent nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's, ugh, she's a different Moraine than... She really is. Like, I just, I can't picture the Moraine we know 
in this series like it's hard <laughs> behaving like this and it's just it it points again to the fact that she's a young woman this is her first time out and about like this without any kind of supervision um and she is known as a prankster mm-hmm. and so of course these are the things she's going to dive into and Trying to make Lance life miserable. It reminds me of Elaine a little bit when when she's kind of given a little bit of freedom and she'll make decisions where you just kind of have to shake your head and be like, girl, please don't do this. Why? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that we, like, touched on that because I thought it was really (laughs) funny. (laughs) Okay, so... In chapter 22, our first look that we see of Chachin, this is, again, another situation where we are seeing how guarded the borderland cities are Mm -hmm. and how it's to the extreme. And I had mentioned that there's close to 24 bridges in Chachin, each with its own fortress. And for me, that's really difficult to conceptualize and even mm-hmm. picture. It's just a completely massive in- infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I can think of like that I've seen firsthand is in some areas of Europe in particular, like there's this river called the Rhine and there are fortresses every few kilometers and it's just insane. So you can drive along and it's like castle, fortress, castle, fortress, (laughs) fortress, fortress. And that's kind of like the only way I could think about it. But in this case, like it's it's not the same thing at all, because in this situation, all of these fortresses are set up along a river so that they can force people back in the day to pay a toll Mm -hmm. to use the river. So mm. you would be so wealthy because anyone passing through, you could be like, hey, give us money and we'll let you pass. Hmm. So, it, I mean, it, it was just, you know, like a tax type situation. But here, mm-hmm. 24 fortresses, like that is ridiculous. And it's a lot. Yeah. And they do say that Chachin is actually one of the less dangerous cities Mm -hmm. because it's further away from the blight so if this is what we're seeing where it's a safe area i want to know what it looks like like deep into the blight Mm -hmm. that would just i don't know i think that's like the type of artwork that i would love to just get like a full book of like all of these little Mm. you know areas and see but of course, <laughs> if there's someone out there, do it. Yes. But um, yeah. there is artwork of Chachin on the Wheel of Time wiki if you're interested. And it's it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. And then you had had the next talking point here. I believe I just kind of I put it in blue. Oh, thank you. Um, just a. Lan's thought pattern seems to be totally distracted between Eden and Moraine. Yes. And both in different ways, but also, like, linked up at the same time. Because he has that thought where he's like, maybe Eden is using Moraine to kill him, but slowly. So maybe they have a connection, maybe they don't. And 
yeah, I just, like, he's not focused. He's not as focused as he could be as we think of him as being focused. So Yeah, or maybe he's just seeing similarities and, like, these mm. strong, powerful women and he's trying to just figure everything out. But I think his, like you said, his thoughts are very distracted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely not full on his game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the silver ring... Ring of Keys that's carried by the Chateaubriand. It's a little historical nod to this, like especially in European households. I'm not sure how far back it goes, um, but like the head housemaid would mm-hmm. have like a a ring of keys that showed what her station was and how trusted she was by the family that she had access to every precious item that they owned. So. So that's I, and, it's a major sign of your status, mm-hmm. even though you are basically a servant. But it is a huge status thing. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think she has any complaints about her job and what she needs to do, and it feels <laughs> as though she gets a lot of respect from the people that are both serving under her and people that mm-hmm. she's serving. Um, yeah, because it mentions usually in the borderlands, on, she would only greet you if you were a crowned king, I guess, or queen. Mm-hmm. So that's what throws yeah. Lan off in the first place. So again, mm-hmm. another borderland custom. Yep. Yeah. And then um, I did like, really like Lan's incident with Prince Bryce's son. And mm-hmm. it is very bittersweet so again we're reminded how rough it is growing up in this area and again we were reminded how terrible of a childhood Lan had and I mean he was orphaned for one and basically raised by warriors Mm -hmm. so we don't have a real hint of him ever having a real mother or a father figure. Bukama mm-hmm. might be it. And Bukama, we love Bukama, but I don't see him as being <laughs> as... Like daddy role? Yeah, like as emotionally supportive as like mm-hmm. your mother could be. or Yeah. And how hard that would be growing up. Not only not having a family, but not really having a nation mm-hmm. and so despite feeling conflicted over his childhood he just wishes that this young boy that he had just met has a better life than he did mm-hmm. and I think it's really you know the mark of a true leader and this spills over into his treatment of Rand he was really mm-hmm. harsh when he needed to be but I genuinely feel like he would have understood Rand more than anyone because Rand has this duty that he has to go do. And, I mean, who else do we know is exactly like that but Lan? Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like this is the reason why so early on in the books, Moraine had to go missing for a big chunk of the books Mm -hmm. where, you know, she she dies (laughs) Kind of. Everyone thinks Mm -hmm. she's dead. But, you know, even Lan thinks she's dead. But had she stayed, Lan would have probably been this mentor keeping Rand in a healthy emotional place. 
Mm-hmm. But I think Robert Jordan had to separate Land and Moraine from Rand to give us his character arc where he finds his inner peace on his own, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But it's interesting how that all works out. And let's see here. Oh, yeah. So Lady Eden has outsmarted Land twice. Now he is <laughs> yeah, now he's cornered into doing the thing that he wants to do least in the world and he is not ready to take on this giant responsibility of leading men into their own deaths, into the blight. Mm-hmm. So when she messages him to come to her room, I honestly, I, I don't even think that she would have told him about her plans. I, I think that she was just going to try and seduce him one last time before marrying him off to her daughter, mm-hmm. like a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my, here's my wacky theory. Maybe Eden is expecting Lan to die in the blight and then she can rule over Malkir as a dowager queen. Mm. But I don't know. Doesn't she just seem incredibly power hungry? Well, and I mean, she called for the raising of the golden crane thinking that Lan was dead. So Lan being alive is kind of a complication for her. You know? So I think that that theory has legs to stand on and i mean Ooh, yeah you're right so she if she did think he was dead mm-hmm. i i mean i would assume someone would have fed her this false information trying to lead her in a direction of calling the banners mm-hmm. but you're right if so he's alive what does she mm-hmm. do with him mm-hmm. and how does she regain power but marrying him off to her daughter. And then she still has influence. Mm-hmm. And if she is trying to assassinate him, then if she can get him with her daughter, she would be in the same, um, like, groups as her. She would always have eyes and ears on him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, she could definitely, she could definitely find a way mm-hmm. <laughs> if she wanted. Yeah, it sounds like she's really good at pulling strings and maneuvering people into situations that she wants them to be in. Um, What was it? Uh, Prince Bryce was like, I know she's nailed you into a box that you wouldn't choose for yourself or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's even obvious to the people around them that she's she's being kind of... Yeah, she's being manipulative. And not that it's... I mean, maybe it's coming from a good place. Maybe she's just power hungry. I really don't understand. Like, if she knew Lan as a so young well. man, yeah, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't she know that that's not what Lan would actually want? So it's it's for her that she's doing this. She wants this. It's not even. I don't even think it's something that she thinks about Lan's feelings and wanting this and she has all this power over him because of these weird malkyrie customs like Mm -hmm. if he's holding on to the braid of hair that she cut off of him like she has all the the power in the situation or something like Mm -hmm. that like who why jordan (laughs) you come up with some weird stuff weird stuff what is that so, yeah, I, I like your question here, too, of who marries their daughter off to their former lover. 
Mm. It just seems that just seems real weird. Weird. I mean, we do see in especially European history how intermarried royals are. True. So I get it, but at the same time, it doesn't make it feel any less <laughs> creepy. <laughs> to yeah. Me. Yeah. Uh, so hey, there's there's my daughter who I'd like you to marry. Let's go have sex. Right. You and me, not you and her. You and me. Right. Just, I don't. Mm. Uh, I, I feel like there could have been a better way to do that. Like, I don't know. Why didn't she just, I mean, she could have just had him marry her. Right? Yeah. Okay, so this is one of the things that I've noticed that happens quite a bit in this series. Is that people who are second to power often have a hold over the person who is primary in power. So I'm thinking Keeper of the Chronicles in particular Mm -hmm. um, over the Amarillan seat. And like when we were talking about, uh, is it Saban Balwer? Did I Mm -hmm. get his name right? So like he he basically doesn't even really exist inside the White Cloaks, but his knowledge is his power and he likes to stay behind the scenes. And so I feel as though Eden is making that same uh-huh. step. Like yeah. she wants to be the power behind and pull the strings well, right. and not necessarily be the primary person in power. The primary person in target tar- the primary person in power usually has the bigger target painted on them. Exactly. So- it's if you if you are good at manipulation, then yeah, being number two is a much better position. Mm-hmm. You're all yeah. the eyes aren't on you, so mm-hmm. you're free to you know you have a little bit more freedom in that respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my thought of how things move in this series is that like the person who's behind the person in power seems to be. I love that. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All of those black Aja that made it as Keepers of the Chronicle still blows my mind. I think it's fun, though. And then, so I wrote down, like, despite the Malkieri and the Borderlanders saying that they don't play Destemar, I feel as though there is definitely an undercurrent of Destemar throughout this entire chapter, like, down to the servants. Because you have, like, the hierarchy of the servants... But then the servants who attend Lan are, like, Pretty he thinks... Spying on him, basically. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I think I think they must be Eden's women Spies, or under yeah. her influence. Exactly. And so, like, I just feel as though it may not be as subtle or complex as mm-hmm. what is done in Kyrian, but there's definitely... And I just don't think that you can have a political situation where you Without. aren't in some way... Yeah, like, there's always undercurrents to surf on to, like, get to the place and the person that you want to get to. And Eden has done a really good job of, like, putting Lan into a place and putting other people in a place where they will support him without him even giving it his approval. Oh, so, definitely. She's playing the game. Mm-hmm. Hard. Mm-hmm. So I, I, found, I found that that – I find that intriguing – that it's it's always there. It's Definitely. always there in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> so Lan doesn't fully express his disgust at this point when he's walking into 
that assemblage of people where he was just expecting a private meeting with Prince Bryce. But he sees these men who have put the Hidori back on, and he sees these women with the Kisane painted on their foreheads, and he refers to them as men and women who had decided to remember Malkier. And burn. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a dig. Like, yeah. He's like, you, you've taken all of this off for decades. You have acted as though Melchior is lost completely to the and shadow. And now, now you're making a show of it. Yeah. And I mean, if I were Leon, I'd be pissed too. You know, he's been holding to the cultures of his, his nation, whether it's physically there or not. And I would imagine that he would want those people to do the same thing. And now it's convenient and... It looks cool, and they're like, "Yes, we're we've actually been Melkiri the whole time in our hearts." And I mean, yeah, maybe they were, but but he's kind of like, "Well, today you're playing dress up." <laughs> yes, yes, today is dress up day, and just the way that Land, everything Land does is kind of subtle and respectful, and he's not even shitty even inside his head towards these people who have done it, like, that's all that he says is that they have decided to remember Malkier. But at the same time, it's a bit of a dig. So, mm-hmm. um, the queen of Candor is Ethaniel, Ethaniel, and she is among she, the border... She's the one who's not there, right? She's not there, yeah. Right. But she, like, later in the books, book seven, book eight, when the Borderland king and queens all come together, Such she's a good chapter. Them. Such a yeah. good chapter. So I I was, I had remembered, because I had just read it, like, her name was familiar to me, and so I kind of went back and did some digging, and she shows up again later on, and I love it when people from yes. New Spring show up again I later on, quote-unquote, like, in the series of the books and how they were written SNEL has already shown up, but I like that. And <laughs> why is Eden wearing a Domani gown? Why is she doing that? This like, is really wearing... off. This is really strange. To me, it is. Like, is anyone else wearing a Domani gown? Has she been living there and has she adopted that? Like, she still is wearing the, the Kisane on her forehead to show that she's Malkieri, but she's wearing a Domani gown. And we all know that they're they're described as scandalous, and I think, like, Lan is, like, it barely escaped being, like, too sheer to wear in public or something like that. Yeah, they are kind of, like, um, yeah, almost a bit scandalous. And whenever we get to hear about someone in the Domani style of dress, like mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Le- Leanne, Leanne, I don't know how you want to say her name, mm-hmm. but... I know who you're talking about. But it's always like a, like, look at me, look at me, sexy, sexy, sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. yes. Yeah, so that... That kind of threw me off. Like, I don't really know if I like her all that much anyway. But that just, it just felt weird. And I was like, is someone else, Are there, is she the only one? Is this how she stands out? I don't know. And, I mean, wear what you want. That's totally fine. But there's so much that goes into the cultures of these books based on what they are wearing. 
And so in some ways, she's just not even representing the place that she... That's really... Yeah, that's really awkward. Yeah. I'm like, eh, okay. Just a little something that, like, pinged my brain, and I was like, okay. And I did try to do, like, a little short dig of research to see if there was anything like this practice in history of this, like, haircutting, mm. woman in power ceremony type thing, and I couldn't find anything. So... That was really all I had for that. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about. Because then, like, he has to, like, create all that. How much know, time did he spend just, Jordan's like, head. <laughs> sitting there? I wonder how many notebooks he had. Probably. You know? Yeah, probably rooms full. This this notebook is Perrin. This notebook is Rand. This one is Matt. This is the Aiel culture over here. Like, that's, that's what I – because, I mean – at least until, like, the early 2000s or so, maybe a little before that. I wish like, they would produce and sell his notes. Mm. Like, I would. Someone, someone would should have, edit them. Yeah. Books mm-hmm. and books and stacks and stacks. <laughs> I'll do it. And we had one more really fun discussion topic before we go, and I'm mm-hmm. really excited for this one. Oh, cool. The other week we had talked about the secret weaves from each Aja. Mm-hmm. And Tracy, you had found something here. Well, I don't I don't know if I if I said the thing about how one of the blues secret weaves that gets revealed in the chapters is that they can call insects, like biting yeah. insects and have them all bite at the same time. Which what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> who discovered that? Why is it a secret weave? Like, what? I, I just thought it was really weird. That kind of makes me want to be blue. Like, calling all the butterflies. <laughs> just follow me around so I feel like Cinderella all day. All like, the time. Not? It sounds <laughs> That's like That's what fun. I would do. Yeah. Nothing malicious. But I was just like... <laughs> It really, it really just like kind of boggles my mind that that was like just this bizarre secret weave that they all know um, once you become blue, which makes me wonder what are the other Aja's secret weaves? Mm -hmm. Like what would they be? So I guess we could just like, do we want to ask people? Yeah. With with secret weaves? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's really fun. Like if, okay, so... I mean, do you have one? Um, you know what? I was I wanted to kind of try to think of them, but I don't know. Maybe we should think about it and then next week. Yeah, we could decide. always like put out put out something on Twitter too and be like, "Hey, what's your secret tr- weave? <laughs> what's your secret weave?" <laughs> Let us know. We want to know. Yeah, let's do that. My in real life secret weave is I'm an exceptionally good Parallel Parker in the car. <laughs> That's my secret weave. Shockingly. I like it. I need I need to know that one. I'm terrible at parallel parking. Like if you have a very large bus or something, I don't know. I've never driven like a truck or something. <laughs> but yeah, I can parallel park quite well. That's Could awesome. Go me. How like how useless. <laughs> That's no I don't know. I mean it's not very much fun. If you know, if I was like, I can do like thirty backflips in a row, <laughs> that would be pretty cool. That would be very cool. 
I don't know. I don't really have any. <laughs> no, your secret weaves are your baking skills. They're all baking related. I would mm-hmm. actually want to do something that would involve the brown Aja and recording, storing, and saving um, Ooh. information. That's what I would want. Or like a, a weave that would protect parchment so that it doesn't deteriorate. Ooh, or like a weave where you have a photographic memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like something like that. That's what I would want. Something very useful. Yeah, you would mm-hmm. never have to make notes ever again. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> I'm an over-note taker, an overachiever in the note-taking world. Being able to recall every chapter, every notation. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so cool. for, for our listeners, before next week, if you want, send us a voice message or a regular message on Anchor or Twitter or Instagram and tell us what your special weave would be. Yeah, I want to know. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So I guess. I mean, Wrap up? Is, yep. We can go cool. ahead and wrap it up. I'm getting here. Okay. Are you there? I'm ready. Okay. So first off, thank you so much for joining us. We'll continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a Discord channel. Just find us on any of our social media platforms and we can send you an invite. So until next week. Thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin. Yay. Bye. Bye.